Well, let me pray one more time, and then we are wrapping up our series on the church this morning. This is part 12, and really simply, we're just going to talk about enjoying Jesus, enjoying Jesus. We're his people, and we're meant to enjoy him. So, Lord, we love you. We thank you that your joy is our strength. Lord, thank you for the gift of joy. Thank you for the gift of your presence. Lord, that we can know you. We can walk with you. God, would you guide us into this? Lord Jesus, may this word um, not just be words on a page or words that I speak, but, but Lord, would you speak a clear word into our hearts today? God, reveal yourself to us one more time. Invite us further into all that you have for us. We love you, we worship you, and we commit our hearts to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So this whole season of Advent, it's all about joy. It really is. It's a season of joy. It's a celebration of that. And so primarily during this season, we're focused on the birth of Jesus, right? God coming into the world. The, the verse we just read during communion this morning, the child that was born unto us, it produces joy. But Jesus' birth is followed by his death. Yes, absolutely. And we should pause and, and recognize the depth of the sacrifice that Jesus, Jesus paid for us. But friends, he didn't stay in the grave. And so at Advent, I believe it's so important that we connect all of these dots. He came for us, he died, and he rose again. And his resurrection produces joy in our lives. And so now while we are in the in-between of waiting for his return, we enjoy some things that folks in the Old Testament didn't, right? They were waiting for his first Advent. Well, we get to sit with that and receive that and enjoy it because he has come. And it's meant to keep us in times of struggle and difficulty while we await his second advent, his return for you and I. And so I just want us to get a sense of this joy and then we'll spend the majority of our time talking about how do we actually walk this out? Like it's great to just throw words around like peace that's available in Jesus or joy that's available in him. And there are moments of my life where I feel very aware of those things. But if, if you're like me, there's long stretches of my life where that just feels like a promise that's unfulfilled. Where I feel like I walk much of my life going, Lord, I don't know if I'm feeling your peace in all of these moments. I don't know if I'm feeling your joy in all of these moments. And so I want to talk about how practically we can enjoy the presence of Jesus. And the byproduct will be then joy that just resounds in our hearts and lives. So to get a sense of this, we know this, but I just, we need a reminder this morning. There was joy at Jesus' birth. Um, John the Baptist, before he's even born, has joy. The shepherds, it's declared to them the joy that was available to them, and they were invited to come and see. The Magi spent probably two years following a star all for the joy of worshiping Jesus. Here's, a, here's some reminders of this. Luke 1, 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. I love that. Elizabeth being greeted by Mary and the baby in her womb recognizes the baby in Mary's womb and is excited. There's my savior present. I love that. Um, the angels declaring to the shepherds in Luke 2, 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
his advent and the joy that's associated with it is for all of us. It's for everyone. And then the Magi, Matthew 2, 10. After two years of travel, and then they've talked to Herod, and they're like, we feel like we're so close, but we're not quite there yet. The star appears once again over Bethlehem and leads them right into the presence of Jesus. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now, that's the birth of Jesus and the joy associated with that. Here's this really cool thing that Jesus does. In the the last few chapters of John's gospel, there's several chapters that just record Jesus' conversation and time of prayer with his disciples right before he goes to the cross. This is his final night with them. And in the middle of this, I want you to see the connection he makes between birth and what he was about to do in his death and resurrection. Check this out. This is found in John chapter 16, verses 21 and 22. Jesus says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So there's, there's the anguish of labor and delivery, and then there's joy of this new life that has entered the world. Verse 22, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. I love that. He's saying, just like birth, so will my death and resurrection be. For a little while, you're not gonna see me and you're gonna be sorrowful. And then there's joy coming that you'll never lose. And friends, that was the reality after the resurrection. We see joy over and over and over again amongst his people at his resurrection. First, the women that come to the tomb on Easter Sunday morning, Matthew 28, eight. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear or like wonder and awe. They're just kind of overwhelmed by what they've experienced and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Okay, a little further in, Jesus now appears in the presence of his disciples. They're all kind of gathered around this place, and and he shows his scars to them, and he ends up eating a meal with them. And in the midst of this appearance, it says in Luke 24, 41, they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling. It literally means like they felt like this was too good to be true. Like, yeah, he's right here. I'm seeing him. I've just, I've touched those scars. Like, I cannot believe this. We just watched him die. And now he's right here. And Jesus disrupts that. If you got your Bible open, you'll see it. He disrupts their disbelieving joy and goes, can I get something to eat? (laughs) It's like, this is as real and tangible and practical as it can be. Joy at his return, at his resurrection. And then I love this, as Jesus is giving them his final blessing at his ascension, in Luke 24, these are the the last couple of verses in Luke's gospel. Friends, it's, it's Luke that turns around and writes the book of Acts, which is like part two to the gospel of Luke. This is what launches the church. And as Jesus has finished blessing them and is about to ascend, check this out, Luke 24, verses 52 and 53. And they worshiped him, and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Friends, everything we have been studying over these last 11 weeks 
All of the stuff that we've been looking at, all of the times that we've seen explained in Acts chapter two and onward, where they're gathering and they're together and they're devoted to his teaching and they're devoted to being with one another and they're spreading the gospel. Every bit of it is rooted in the joy that they found at the resurrection of Jesus. They returned in joy and so they couldn't wait to gather and to declare the good news. Friends, this is the central unique thing about the people of God. That is who we are. The unique place that we have as followers of Jesus is one of joy. Death has been defeated. And so even as we're awaiting Jesus' return, we can do it in joy. He's won. He's come. He's resurrected. We get to share in that joy, and then we get to look ahead in the future eternal joy that awaits us. We're we're meant to be rooted in this. And so joy at his birth and joy at his resurrection, it is the anchor point for all of our lives as the church. And then, man, we've seen this throughout the book of Acts. Over and over and over again, these glimpses of joy, these moments of joy, awe, wonder, celebration. And every time they were sharing about the life of Jesus, yes, they shared about his death, but they pointed to his resurrection and the joy of the new life we have in him. There's a snippet of this in in Peter's sermon in Acts 2, verses 25 through 28. For David says concerning Jesus, so he's about to quote a psalm. For David says concerning Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Man, isn't that good news? That I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was like mediocre. I could sort of get by a little bit. No, my heart was glad. My tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or hell or let your Holy One see corruption. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. The beauty of what Peter is talking about here is He's doing something powerful that we're to be reminded of always. See, these are the words of David as he is trudging through, through the ups and downs of this life. He's talking about his own life and what, what he has in the Lord, but he is also looking ahead to one who will come. And so Peter is connecting this Psalm and he goes on to explain like David did die. <laughs> he did see corruption but he was looking ahead to a savior who would come. And so Jesus steps into our world, walks the roads that we walk. He's faced death. He's defeated death. And now, because he came and associated himself with us, he came and made David's cry, David's plea for his present moment that was also prophetic. Jesus fulfilled it. Now, here's the cool thing. Now what David talked about, that Jesus fulfilled, we get to live in that. That gets to become our reality. And so the same longings that are in us that David was expressing, they are fulfilled in Jesus. And our joy gets to be full. And so here's what I wanna do with the rest of the message this morning. It's really simple. And I'd encourage you guys, maybe do some digging on this on your own. The Psalm that that Peter is quoting right here is, is Psalm 16. It's from Psalm 16. 
And so we're just gonna go through Psalm 16 this, together this morning. And there's three things that kind of emerged to me that, that I saw that I believe relate to how we enjoy Jesus, that we share in that joy as the church. And friends, I believe that the byproduct of that is, is like almost limitless. Like the ripple effects, we can't even imagine how massive they might be. But I think so often in our lives, we're worried about how to get to the, the results that we can lose sight of the fact that if I just, if I just enjoy Jesus, if I receive him, if I hold on to him, if I trust him, all of those results will take care of themselves. The church was born and exploded and ministered to people and all the things that we've been studying, guys, there's a level of dedication and commitment involved in that. But the truth is, if we enjoy Jesus, that stuff will begin to permeate our lives. And more and more naturally, it'll flow out of us individually and as a people, okay? And so how can we enjoy Jesus? Let's check this out. I wanna start by reading the last verse. It's the last thing that Peter quoted. And so Psalm 16, verse 11. Um, if you wanna follow on in your own Bible, we will just be in Psalm 16 the rest of the morning. And so you can just kind of camp there. Verse 11 sort of, I believe, summarizes what the entire Psalm is about. David finishes the Psalm by saying, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Guys, three things that I believe that help us experience the joy of Jesus are the path of life that he's given us, the joy that's found in his presence, and friends, joy that we can have while facing the future. Joy that we can have while facing the future. Let's look at these three. See, when I, when I see this last verse, I see a summary of everything that he's been talking about and repeating throughout the psalm. Joy on the path of life is number one. You've made known to me the path of life, the psalmist says. Well, what, are, what, what does that mean for us that he's made known to us the path of life? I, I can tell you, first of all, just the fact that he promises that he makes known to me a way that I can walk out this life, that's huge, like that's been big to me my whole life, but I'll tell you, one of the things that's been the hardest for me, um, just probably my personality, but over these last two years is how much it's unknown territory. And I hate that. <laughs> I like operating in the known territory. I like walking those well-worn paths, you know? I know what to do, I know where to go, I know how to operate. And it has been so challenging navigating the last few years. I just feel like constantly the one thing I say is, I don't know. <laughs> Alex has probably gotten tired of hearing me say that. I know my wife has. I don't know. I don't know what we're supposed to do. I can point out to all kinds of problems, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do about it. But listen, there is joy in the fact that he has made known to us the path of life. And the Lord, it's like, I'm so stubborn. He's had to remind me of that over and over and over again, that I do know. I, I know enough. There's a whole lot I don't know, but I, I know enough to walk the path of life that he's given me. And so I see three things in this Psalm related to the path of life that he's made known to us. The first one we find in verse one, Psalm 16, one, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. 
That word refuge, it means to seek refuge. It means to flee for protection. So sometimes the only path I have that I know is I can run to him. (laughs) I'm in trouble. Things are hard. I don't know what to do, but I know the path. It's to run to you because you're my refuge. I'm safe in him. Friends, when the path is hard, I can run to him. I love that. I get lost out there with my knees shaking sometimes because I think I have to figure out how to protect myself. I have to figure out the solutions, the answers, like, and, and like it's a test I'm gonna fail. And so if I guess the wrong next step, it's just all gonna tank. And so I can feel this immense pressure. And he's just saying, listen, I've made the path known to you. Run to me. You know the people that he helped and rescued and touched over and over again while he walked this earth? The people that just stood at a distance going, help, son of David, have mercy on me. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And he answered those prayers and he touched those lives. Friends, I'm grateful for that. My my first step in the path of life that he's made known to me is that he's got what I don't. And so I can run to him in time of trouble. All right, the the next one, verse four. This is so important. The path of life, it's an alternative route to what's being offered to us all the time. Check out verse four. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. See, everybody's running for help somewhere. But the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. The hard thing I'm in right now that this other person, they're in their version of it right now, When I run to him and find refuge, I'm rescued. But if if we follow the path that so many around us do that are lost and we run to other gods, the sorrows only multiply. They get worse. Life goes in the tank. Their drink offerings of blood, I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. He's, He's simply saying, I am not gonna settle for all the lies being offered by the world around me. All of the other places where I'm supposed to find hope or help or rescue, the things that if I just just worship them, I'll be all right. If I rely on my financial standing, everything will be okay. And I'll just rely on that. Or fill in the blank. It's limitless, the gods that are worshiped. But I love that, that the path of life that Jesus offers, it's an alternate route. It's the narrow gate that few find. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. Many are on that path, but it's the narrow way that leads to life. And friends, the beauty is that narrow way that leads to life, it's him. It's just, it's found in him. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. It's not a mysterious path I have to find. I run to him and I I walk with him. I worship him and he touches my sorrows. Jesus never promised us that we would be without sorrow, but he, he promised us that he would comfort us. He promised us that he would never leave us or forsake us. He even told us he could relate. He was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, but he promises to wipe every tear from our eyes. Friends, he offers an alternate path. 
And then number three, I love this. Verse seven. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. Friends, I can know and rest in his counsel. I can know his counsel and I can rest in it. We, we aren't left with, without a path. We have it. We have his words. We have the written word. And one of Jesus' very names is that he is the word. He's the word made flesh. And so I have his written word. I have his presence in my life. Friends, part of, part of what we're doing when we gather, when we study his word, when we wrestle through it together, that's what we're doing. We're, we're taking counsel. You know, I'm sitting in life group and Bart shares something and it's like, oh man, I get, I get an insight or an encouragement or a correction, whatever it is I need to hear, right? I, I get that through him, through the word of God, through the Holy Spirit's presence. I receive counsel from the Lord and I can rest in that. How he directs me, what he offers me, it's right, it's good, it's enough. When I'm, when I'm walking the road he's called me to, and it, at the moment, it's not feeling like it's making sense or it doesn't seem to be producing what I was hoping it would produce. Friends, I can rest in him that his counsel is good and it's right. And he leads me in the path of life. It's a sure road. And so we can choose the alternate path. We can walk the road he's laid out for us. And friends, when it's all going haywire, we can run to him and find refuge. Amen? That's how we can enjoy Jesus. See, joy is not rooted in everything is just perfect all the time. It's rooted in the presence of a God who is with us and who loves us and who is for us. And so we can enjoy him on the path of life. Number two, not only is there joy on the path of life, there's joy in his presence. That second part of verse 11 says, in your presence, there is a little bit of joy, just enough for me to eke by, fullness of joy, fullness of joy. I've, I've had a few meals recently where I was very full afterwards. I mean, Thanksgiving was one of them and there've maybe been a few more in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Our, our family, uh, my wife's dad and stepmom uh, were in town this weekend and we kind of did a pre-Christmas thing and man, we ate. Like we ate some food Friday and Saturday. And there, I'm literally at certain points going, I can't do dessert yet. Because <laughs> I got to wait just a little bit longer. Fullness. Listen, that's, that's what this word means. Like full, satisfied, overflowing. It's in God's presence that we get fullness of joy. We get to enjoy it right there. So first of all, it's found in intimacy because intimacy is a reminder of his goodness. Verse two, I say to the Lord, I love that. He's not just aware of this. He says to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. He, the psalmist isn't just aware that God is good. Like it's not the old, like God is good. A few of y'all have been in a Baptist church <laughs> all the time, right? It's not just that. It's not just repeating that. The, the psalmist is living in that reality because there's an intimate conversation happening. He's, he's communicating with God. 
God, I am aware that you are my Lord. There's plenty of places in the scripture that says he's the Lord, right? Whether I'll have him or not, he's the Lord. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. It's who he is. But he will be my Lord. He will be my King. It's personal. And the psalmist makes it personal. He says, he says, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. I have to believe that part of that, as he's talking to the Lord, he's reminding himself. Oh yeah, maybe I've been chasing some good and not finding it apart from you. Oh yeah, I'm returning to center. Lord, I'm, I'm with you. I'm choosing intimacy. I'm choosing to be in your presence. I'm choosing to talk to you. I'm reminding my heart that apart from you, there's no good. But in you, there's good. It's a reminder of his goodness as we're in his presence. And so that personal connection, that conversation, it's a reminder of where goodness is found. Listen, friends, the cross also is a reminder of his providence. And that is a way that we can enjoy his presence. Psalm 16, verse five. The Lord is my portion and my cup. I mean, like David doesn't even know what he's writing about there. You're my portion and my cup. Now you could just say, well, yeah, he's relating it to a meal. You were just talking about fullness. Okay, yeah, he is. You're my portion. You're what I get to feast upon. You're my cup. But God's watching all that and going, oh, you have no idea, buddy. Just wait. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. We find comfort in the cross because we receive that ourselves. And look, I love this. It's a reminder of his providence. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. It might feel like I'm just stuck living out the circumstances unfolding around me. I'm stuck dealing with what other people have created or what the world has just brought my way or what my own mistakes have led me to. But the greater reality above it all is the providence of God. My lot, my course, the circumstances of my life, they're in his lap, they're in his hands. He holds my lot. And so who is the God that's holding my life? The God who gave himself for me. The cross is a reminder of the providence of God. Why can I trust God to be all right? That our, sorry, that I'll be all right in the middle of this. Why can I trust that? Because of the cross. Because of what he has done on my behalf. And so I can enjoy his presence. Friends, I would encourage you. We, like we do this every so often as a church community. Take communion at home. Get your Bible out. Sit. You, do you realize you can even eat more than a tiny little bite? Did you know that? Like, I mean, do your own thing as it relates to alcohol, but like you could pour a glass of red wine and get a really nice piece of bread and you could just sit and like feast on him. God, you're my portion. You're my lot. Look what, as I, think about the time that it takes to do that, right? Beyond just a, a quick bite and a quick sip. Like if I'm sitting and I'm enjoying the bread, I'm enjoying the wine, the juice, whatever. As I'm doing that, my heart's being reminded that he's my portion. He's my cup. I'm satisfied 
in him. There's joy in him. Think about what what wine represents. It's it's a cup of celebration. It's a cup of joy. Jesus said, I'm going to flip this on its head. The things that would cause you to weep and mourn, death, bloodshed, I'm going to repurpose them to be a vessel of joy. And so even as we partake of him when life is hard, it's a reminder of the joy that's found in him. Amen, somebody? Amen. All right. Third piece of finding joy in his presence. His presence is an anchor for my soul. Verse eight. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. See, I know I mentioned earlier, like on the path, we can run to him when we're in trouble because like all we like sheep have gone astray, right? We wander. But see, the beauty is he's right there. I set the Lord always before me. He's at my right hand, so I will not be shaken. I I see this all, all over scripture, over and over and over again. His people in hard circumstances and the Lord is right there present with them. I'm reminded of Peter as he dared to go out on the water and really quickly went, oh boy, (laughs) I'm surrounded by the wind and the waves and I am overwhelmed out here. I'm literally in over my head. I started walking on water. This was miraculous, but like the reality is washing over me and he starts drowning. And how does Jesus reach him? He reaches out his hand and pulls him up gets him back into safety. Because the Lord is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Friends, there will be seasons where the storm is crashing around us. There will be seasons where we just feel overwhelmed, where we feel like we're drowning. But friends, our our Jesus is right there present with us. And he's saying, I'm at your right hand. I've got you. Take a hold of me. I'll see you through it. I'll lift you up. In his presence, there's joy. Because I can hold on to him even when there's no external reason to have joy. There's joy because my Savior is with me and he's got me. See, friends, whether it's, it's the intimacy of partaking of communion, whether it's the joy found by just spending time in his word and in prayer talking to him, or it's the joy that's found and just clinging to him when I've got nothing left that I can do and watching him be faithful to see me through. I've never enjoyed any season of suffering and struggle, but I have looked back at a lot of seasons of suffering and struggle and gone, wow, God, look what you did. Look who you are. Look at your faithfulness. And I'll tell you, friends, looking back at those times helps me now. Helps me when the waves are crashing now to go, huh, you didn't bring me all the way here to leave me here. You see me through. And that leads to our third and final point this morning. We can have joy while facing the future. We can have joy while facing the future. The last thing the psalmist says in verse 11 is, at your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. See, the same right hand that causes me not to be shaken and lifts me up, that same right hand is providing for me an eternity 
that will last, that will endure. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. How do we do that? How do we face the future? How do we wait for the forevermore that is yet to come? How do we do that? We have a way to do that. The first one might surprise you, verse three. I love this. It seems out of place. It seems out of place in the middle of this whole Psalm that's about David and intimacy with God. Verse three, he says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Friends, do you know how we face the future? Together. Together. Some of my biggest disappointment of the last couple of years has been people. <laughs> like, there have been moments where my, my disappointment has just been like in humanity as a whole, like what is going on, <laughs> right? And, and if I'm not careful, there have been moments where I've gone, man, I feel like this person has let me down. This relationship has been a struggle. Like, people have disappointed me, but the Lord has been reminding me over and over again, his people have also sustained me. Some of my greatest joys over the last two years have been my family, this church community, like faithful friends, friends who love Jesus, friends who lift each other up. See, in the middle of this whole thing, David delights in the saints. How do, how do we endure? Together. We lift each other up. We hold on together. We remind each other of the future that awaits us. We remind each other that we're not alone. Because see, there are times where enjoying Jesus' presence, it's just, it, it's hard to put like flesh on that. Like, like I need somebody real to like hug. I need a real shoulder to cry on. And so Jesus calls us his body. And we get to be a taste of Jesus in one another's lives. We get to hold on to one another. We get to provide a shoulder to cry on. We get to have some strong right hands to hold on to, to see us through. How do we have joy facing the future? We face it together. God's people are a reminder that we are not alone. It can feel like it, but we're not. All right, number two, another way that we can face the future in joy. Um, really simply, my future home is awesome. <laughs> my future home is awesome. Verse six, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I love that. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Like, oh man, my property lines, are they're a little bigger than I thought they were gonna be. Oh, I get that tree. I get that hill back there. Whoa, wait a minute. My house is on the lake. What? The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Anybody ever had any anxiety around like property lines or disputes with neighbors or like, sorry, I'm not, didn't mean to touch on that. That's a recent thing for the Pinellas. Um, it's something Amy's dad has experienced. They moved into a new place this year and there was confusion and dispute. And it was like, but part of what they were telling us this weekend is like, it's finally settled. Like it's good, it's settled, everything's good. And it's like, ah. Oh. And so I thought of that reading this, like the lines are drawn for me in pleasant places. Jesus tells us that he's gone before us to prepare a place. And he basically says, I'm not lying. <laughs> if it were not so, I would have told you. He's saying, I'm not lying. I'm preparing a place for you. 
In my Father's house are many mansions. Friends, we have a beautiful future home awaiting us. Man, that, that matters. Number one, it reminds me of something I fall into all the time, which is thinking this place is my home. It's not. So thank God it's not. When it feels a little bit like heaven, wonderful. Great to have a little taste of that. When it's feeling like another place sometimes, <laughs> it's a good reminder that this isn't home. That's home. That's home. And then finally, last thing, my future is secure. The reason I can face the future in joy is that my future is secure. Verses nine and 10. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. There, there, this, this could be a whole sermon. It's not, I promise I'm wrapping up, but this could be a whole sermon. Like this is a person whose spirit, soul, and body, like their whole self is at peace. Their mind, their physical body, it, it's lined up with spiritual reality. Like this is an emotionally and spiritually healthy person writing these words. I'm able to rest secure. My flesh also dwells secure. Verse 10, why? For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. When I'm experiencing all the ways that this life breaks me down, I'm worn out mentally, I'm exhausted emotionally, my body's getting older and I feel it and I recognize it. You know what? Ultimately, I will not be destroyed. Ultimately, my future is secure. I won't see corruption. I'm getting a new heavenly body. I get to dwell with him forevermore and enjoy the life he has for me and his presence. Friends, he will preserve me through it all, spirit, soul, and body. That's the promise. He preserves us. And so we come back where we started at the very end of the chapter, chapter or verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Friends, we get to enjoy Jesus. This is just a taste. These are just some things I was chewing on this week. This is just one passage of scripture that highlights some of the ways that we can enjoy him. Friends, let's become people that learn how to feast on him, to enjoy Jesus in the midst of this life. He gives us a secure path to walk. He lets us enjoy his presence here and now. And friends, it's only gonna get better. Our future is secure. You know, when I look six months out, six years out, 60 years out, it's easy to feel very uncertain. But the reality is my future is secure in him. And his presence is with me here and now. And he's given me a path to walk all the days of my life. And I can experience and enjoy Jesus now and forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the fullness of joy that you have for us. Thank you, Lord, that you, you have entered our world and you, you are still here with us. You are ever present with your people. 
God, thank you for, for the joy that we have in you. It's not a false joy that's just reliant on good times and good circumstances. God, thank you that you are an anchor in our lives, that no matter what the chaos might be that's swirling around us or even at times within us, God, that we can rest secure in your presence, we can rest secure in the future that you have for us, and, and we can walk the path that you've belayed before us here and now with you right there by our side. Thank you for your strong right hand that upholds us, that keeps us from being shaken. We love you. We worship you. Jesus, we celebrate you in this season as we remember your advent, your coming, and we're grateful for that. Lord, we celebrate you at all times in all seasons daily. We love you. We worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Friends, enjoy his presence in the midst of the busyness of this season. Slow down. Be with him. Let him remind you just by his very presence in your life of his goodness and the joy that he has for you. All right? All right. We love you guys. We're praying for you as you travel this week. Hope you can join us Wednesday night as we worship together. And then y'all just have an awesome time with your family. If we don't see you again, we'll see you in a couple weeks in here. All right? Awesome. Have a great week.